invite you to turn your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 3 for the reading of God's Word. Exodus chapter 3, if you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 54. Now, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, is a narrative uh, recording by Moses himself. Moses is the author of when he met the Lord at the Lord's mountain. But this chapter belongs to chapter 4, verse 17. So it's part of a unified narrative, a unified narrative. section of scripture chapter 3 verse 1 to chapter 4 verse 17 but this morning we're only going to look at chapter 3 uh, for our purposes here in the preaching of God's word next week or next time we um, hear a sermon on Exodus we'll look at chapter 4 verses 1 through 17 let us now hear God's word now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest of Midian And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. 
This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. As far as the reading of God's word, may it is a blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Well, as I said, Congregation of Christ, this chapter belongs to to chapter 4, verse 17. And we have here in the beginning Moses becoming a shepherd In the land of Midian, in chapter 2, we remember that he fled Egypt, and he arrived in Midian, and he was met by the daughters of his father-in-law Jethro, or in chapter 2, we have written there, the, the father of Zipporah gave her to Moses. And then we have here in chapter 3, verse 1, the humility of this servant of the Lord, keeping sheep of his father-in-law's flock. Not his sheep, but his father-in-law's sheep. He's a shepherd in a foreign land. Remember, he's a sojourner. He's about 80 years old now. He was 40 when he left, when he fled. Now he's about 80. And he's a shepherd for his father-in-law. We read here in in the first verse, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. God visits his servants. The Lord, the covenant God of Israel, meets his servant Moses on his mountain. A mountain that's set apart for God to speak to Moses and to his people. And we'll get into that. But this mountain of God, or Mount Horeb, is also synonymous to Mount Sinai. They're used interchangeably in the Old Testament scriptures. God reveals himself, he reveals his wonders, and he reveals his will. He teaches on mountains. And Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai, will be the place where he will visit Moses, and does indeed visit Moses, and he will teach Moses on this mountain. It is on God's mountain that God visits his servant, Moses. And in verses 1 to 6, we have first, Moses fears the holy presence 
of God. God appears and Moses fears. God appears and Moses fears. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Verse 2 says, Some interpreters believe that the angel of the Lord here is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is a way of saying that this is the word who became flesh, Jesus Christ, before he took on human flesh, before he became a baby in a manger. That this is the word, the second person of the Trinity, revealing himself through an angel before his first coming into the world when he assumed a human body and human nature. Other interpreters believe that the angel of the Lord here is simply God's messenger who represents God himself. And so when the angel of the Lord spoke, it's as if God speaks himself. It's important to note, congregation, this is an important point I'm about to make here. God is holy, and we are not. And we need to remember that God's essence, who God is, is so pure and holy and incomprehensible that he cannot reveal himself to man in his fullness. Exodus 33 verse 20 says, But God said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Think about that. God cannot show the totality of his being and essence lest all men perish and die because he's so pure and there is no human language that can describe his essence or show or demonstrate his essence lest man die. And so what does God do? How can man see God when God is spirit? Pure in essence, man cannot see God's essence and live. Man cannot look upon the holiness of God Almighty and live because sin separates the sinner from a holy God. Moses saw God through the appearance of the angel of the Lord. And these are called theophanies, appearances of God through a mediator, through someone, a creature. So that when the angel speaks... He speaks in the first person as if that person is God himself. Do you remember when Jacob wrestled with God? Genesis chapter 32, Jacob wrestled with God through the angel. Jacob wrestled with the angel and he said, I will not let you go until you tell me your name. And then he praised God because he saw God. You remember the text says, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. God wrestled Jacob through the angel. In other words, friend, a transcendent, a God who is wholly other, beyond comprehension, stoops down to man, stoops down to his servant Moses, and reveals himself to Moses and speaks to Moses through the angel. So that when the angel speaks, Moses can surely say, wow, I saw God, I spoke to God today. 
What is preaching? Preaching is God speaking to you. Through what? A human vessel. And we leave worship at times, don't we? Saying, God met us today. God himself is with us. Through what? His word. And by his spirit. When he speaks to us. That's why the prophets, when the prophets spoke, they spoke to the people in the first person as if God was speaking to them. God, who is holy and transcendent, stoops down to his creatures to visit them. And Moses sees this burning bush, and the angel appeared to him in the wilderness. Acts chapter 7, verses 30 and following, Stephen, in his speech, if you're taking notes, write down those verses. Acts 7, verses 30 and following. I'm going to read a couple of verses from Stephen's speech. He said to the religious leaders, Now when 40 years had passed of Moses' life, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. You see, Horeb and Sinai are used synonymously, interchangeably. An angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, God intervenes. Don't come near. And then Stephen says, This Moses, whom they, the Israelites, rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. God visited Moses through a mediator, an angel. And when Moses realized, when he realized that the bush is on fire but not being consumed, there was an amazing thing happening here. Because fire in the Bible refers to cleansing, or it refers to um, presence, God's presence, or it refers to wrath. God is showing his holy presence before Moses. And he's showing Moses that this God, this creator God, has the power to light this bush on fire and not have it be consumed because he is Lord of nature. Even nature does his bidding. And Moses is amazed. He's perplexed. And he wants to draw closer to it. And God says, no. You can stay, but don't draw any closer. Don't draw any closer. Verse 4 says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. You notice that? God called him out of the bush. Well, there's an angel there. God speaking through the angel. God called out of the bush. Moses, Moses, and he said, here, I'm, here, I am, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God's presence sanctified the place where Moses stood. He set it apart as holy. And what do we see in verse 6, the very last sentence? And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God appears, Moses fears. Because he is confronted, he is visited by God himself, a holy, righteous 
God. And there's an overwhelming sense of his inadequacy to stand in the presence of a holy God. Have you, Christian, ever come to that realization or that holiness of God? When you see your sin for what it really is before God's righteousness, before God's holiness, in God's presence? There are many reactions when God reveals himself to his people by his spirits. And one of them is a great fear. The fear like the apostles of Jesus. When Peter fell on his face in the boat and said, Lord, away from me, I am a sinner. When Peter said, you are the Holy One of Israel. When the disciples realized the holiness of the Christ, it drew them on their face. Or when the soldiers heard Jesus say those profound words, I am, and they fell down to the ground and worshipped him. In the Christ, in Jesus, there's a profound reality of holiness in the presence of his disciples and among the people. God stoops down. God stoops down to reveal himself in holiness. And Moses is in awe. Moses is in awe. What do you think about God's holiness? What, what, what's, when you think about the fact that God is pure and holy in his very essence and being, And that to look upon his face is to look upon him and die. Because he's the infinite and we're the finite. He's the incomprehensible and we're creatures. He's the creator and we're the creatures. When you think about his holiness, what response is evoked in your heart? Moses feared, but through Christ, God himself is with us, and we don't go to God in fear any longer, because Christ made the way for his people to enter God's presence and to live. Secondly, Moses protests the call of God, verse 7 and following, In fact, the protestations of God go all the way to chapter 4, verse 17. There are five protestations, or Moses protests five times in his dialogue with God. And here we're going to look at the first two. The first two. If you think the servants of God or Christians or the people of God, the people of faith, don't have insecurities, think again. Moses, 80 years old, protests five times when God is calling him to a specific calling, and he has deep, profound insecurities before a holy God who just revealed himself to Moses. 
verses 7 to 9 are a repetition of the end of chapter 2, when God, hear, God heard their cry. God promises to deliver them. He, he remembers his covenant. And then verse 11, look with me in your Bible at verse 11. Verse 10, verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh and you, and that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God or worship God on this mountain. This is the first protest. Who am I? In other words, Lord, I am unfit to go to Pharaoh. Who am I, Lord? It's been 40 years since I've been back there. I may have been the right guy for you back then, but they rejected me. I'm certainly not the right guy for you now. I'm 80 years old. You have the wrong guy. Moses protests because he believes that he is unfit for the task. But isn't it true that God makes fit those who are unfit for his purposes? Isn't that true in your life? God is the God of those who are insecure. Making those who are insecure, secure in him. Making those who are seemingly unfit in their own eyes, fit for his service. You may think that you're unfit to serve God in whatever capacity, in whatever vocation, whatever ministry, but God makes fit those who think they are unfit. When God calls us to something, he gives us gifts, he gives us a spirit, he enables and empowers us to do the work that he's called us to. Whatever vocation, whatever calling, God even graciously gives Moses a sign that looks, for the looks toward the future, not the past or present, but looks to the future. In verse 12, he says, but I will get, be with you. I will be with you. He says it numerous times. I will be with you. My presence will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you, singular, when you, singular, have brought the people out of Egypt, you, plural, shall serve or worship God on this mountain. So you, Moses, this is going to be a sign for you, Moses. You're going to, come, you're going to lead this people out of Egypt, and you're going to come back to the same mountain where I met you, where I visited you. And not only you, but the people of Israel are going to worship and serve me at this mountain. Here's an important point. Here's an important point under the second point and first protest. Deliverance is not the end game for God. Your salvation is much more than just being saved from your sins and inherit eternal life. 
Deliverance is the means to the end, namely worship. Are you following me? God says, I will deliver the people, and they will come back to this mountain and worship me. God desires his heart, desires his people to worship him, to praise him, to give glory to his name. So you and I are not saved to sit on our hands and do nothing. I'm saved, I'm, I'm in heaven, since forgiven, I can coast through life. No, we were saved to serve. We were saved to worship. That's why the worship of God's people is so important to the life of the Christian. To deny God the worship due his name, therefore, is to live in rebellion against the God who saved you for the very purpose of worshiping him. And so this is the sign. Who am I? That first protest from Moses. God assures him, don't worry about it. I'm with you. I'm going to get you to where you need to go, where I want my people to go. And I'm going to even give you a sign that what I say is going to be true. You will see my people back at this mountain to serve and worship me. Well, then Moses protests the second time. The first protest, who am I? The second protest, Moses says, if I come, verse 13, if I come, to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God says to him, like, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Moses, you know my name. You know I am Yahweh. You know I'm the covenant Lord of Israel, the God who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your fathers. You know this. But for your good, I'm going to give you another name, a divine name, I am. I am. Tell them that I am has sent me to you. What does the divine name I am mean? Wow, there are a lot of books that have been written about this. Many scholarly attempts to try to understand this name, I am, which is the to be verb. First person singular, I am. This is a mysterious statement from the Lord that's difficult to interpret. We need to remember when God gives his name, his name speaks of his attributes because our finite minds can't comprehend who God is in his essence, as I said earlier. The context here seems to indicate somewhat of what I am means or points to. It seems to point to God's ever-presence among his people. But it also seems to point to God's self-existence. 
I think, therefore I am. I am has to do with existence. He is the God who was and is and is to come. He is the self-existent one who needs no one, no creature for him to exist. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit needs no one outside of himself for him to exist. He depends on no one for his existence. Tell Israel, tell the people that the self-existent, ever-present God of Israel is sending you. God always is. Always is. But I think to interpret this divine name of I am, we need to look and see how scripture interprets scripture. And we look, need to look to John's gospel. When in John's gospel, we have those claims, those statements of Jesus himself using I am. Because John's gospel emphasizes the deity of Christ. And seven times, actually eight, but seven times we have I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus himself, as we sung earlier, is the great I am. But then write down this verse if you're taking notes. John 8, verse 58. John 8, verse 58. They question Jesus. They question Jesus about them being offspring of Abraham. And they question Jesus, you're not even 50 years old. How can you know Abraham longed for you or, or knew you, Jesus? And in chapter 8, verse 58 of John's gospel, he says this, before Abraham was, what? I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And you know what they did? They were ready to kill him. They picked up stones. Because they knew that Jesus was making himself equal to who? To God himself. Jesus is the great I am. He claims to be the self-existing one, the one who always is, was, and will be. Christ our Lord is God himself who visited his own people to save them from their sins and to rescue us from this present evil age. He is a servant and son of God who is perfectly fit, perfectly fit to deliver his church and who is the great I am. Lord, we believe that you are indeed the Holy One of Israel. Has God visited you? If you are a Christian, God has indeed visited you in the person and spirit of his son. God, through Christ, makes himself known to us. Lastly, God commissions Moses to deliver good news. Notice that. God is so gracious to relieve Moses' fear. 
Moses feared God. God appeared, Moses feared. Moses protested. But God is so gracious to relieve his fear, to ease his anxieties by making promises to them. He commissions a man who is insecure and feels unfit to deliver good news to Israel's elders. Verse 16 and following, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I'm sure the little, the little ones are waiting for me to say the mosquito bites. Go and gather the, Israel, or the uh, leaders of Israel. Tell them the good news of my promise to them. Tell them. They will listen to your voice when you tell them that I will deliver them. They will even accompany Moses to Pharaoh. Oftentimes we have in our mind that Moses was alone when he, when he confronted Pharaoh. He had, at times had Aaron, and at times he had the elders of Israel. Gather the elders and tell them everything. Teach, tell them the good news. Say to them, the Lord, the God of Israel, has met with us. Tell the king of Egypt that God has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice, that we, we, we may worship the Lord our God. Interestingly, God commands Pharaoh, or Moses asks Pharaoh to give them a three-day sabbatical to sacrifice and worship, rather than saying, let my people go altogether. But God says, I know that the king of Pharaoh will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of Egyptians. And then he concludes, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Oh, that's priceless. Remember last week? Thank you, God, for providing my needs and making Satan pay for it. In other words, God promises, God promises the people that he, Egypt, the king of Egypt, will not permit them to leave, but he will strike them with his wrath. Pharaoh will put up a fight, but he will not win. And he promises, tells Moses to, to preach more good news. Preach to the elders more good news that Israel herself shall plunder the Egyptians. They will have an all expenses paid exodus out of Egypt. The evil kingdom itself will pay for their exodus. Oh, the irony is rich here too, isn't it? The Egyptians will be plundered. 
And this too is a promise of God that goes back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. God will be true to his promise to Abraham and his offspring, and God is reminding Moses of this promise. Preach this good news that is coming to fulfillment. The kingdom of darkness will pay for it. Oh, kingdom, oh, the kingdom of darkness thinks they have the last word, the final word. No way. Christ has the final word. Because God indeed has visited us in his son. When Jesus was brought into this world, the son of God assumed human flesh. He was baptized in the Jordan and commissioned by by God himself, when he said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Jesus doesn't protest God's will and purposes and plan. He willingly and perfectly obeys it. And he came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the powers of darkness and death and Satan, and they have no stronghold over him. He came to plunder death. He came to plunder Satan. He came to plunder the evil kingdoms of this world. And he came to take you as his own, Christian. To claim you as his own. And give you every blessing, every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. When it talks about blasphemy of the spirit, he gives an example. But if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, who is the great I am, came to plunder the evil darkness of this world, the kingdom of Satan. And he bound the strong man to release captive sinners to himself. That's you, Christian. That's you. And now you are free, free indeed, with every blessing from God through Christ and by the Spirit. And he did this so that you worship him in spirit and in truth. For worship is the end goal. Worship in truth, in spirit and truth, on Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. I want to close. Please turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. The Israelites will as God promised, be back at that mountain to worship and serve God. But they rebelled. They rebelled and created idols in the likeness of Egyptian gods. Listen to the promise in Christ. 
for those who believe in Christ. For you, Christian, for you, Christian, have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God delivers his people, hear his word, believe his word, trust his word, look to no other savior, look to Jesus and worship him. Worship him in reverence and awe for God is a consuming fire. Amen. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you that you have indeed visited us. That the horn of salvation was born of a virgin. Born in our likeness, in our nature, in our flesh, yet without sin. And because he's the perfect Savior, perfect Lord, perfect King, he is perfectly fit, perfectly able, to sympathize with us in our weaknesses and perfectly able and fit to lay down his life as a ransom for many so that we may be delivered from our sin and misery, inheritors of the promise, eternal life, so that we may worship you in spirit and in truth, that we may approach Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, even now as we worship you, without fear of death. But we come in the fear of the Lord, reverent awe for who you are and what you have done for us. We come in the joy of your salvation. Pray this in Jesus' name.